Stand with me in honor of God's word. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. And his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? Who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot, and seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither. And the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. And who brings out their host by number. 
calling them all by name, by the greatness of His might, and because He is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. To him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is God's Word. You may be seated. Do you find yourself this Christmas season wondering if God sees you? If God notices you? If God takes note of your situation? Do you wonder this holiday season if you are on God's radar? And if He will come to help you and to strengthen you and to renew you. The holidays are not always happy for everyone. Now that's what's going on in the people of Judah and Jerusalem in the 6th century B.C. It wasn't Christmas Eve because they lived before Christ. But it was a long season. A century's worth of fear and anxiety and defeat and exile in Babylon. Psalm 137 opens this way. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? That's the state of the people at the time of Isaiah 40. Now they knew something. This is what they knew, or this is what they thought they knew up to this point. This is what they believed, but now have doubt about. They knew that God chose and called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their forefathers. Jacob called Israel significant for the passage today in verse 27 where the question is why O Jacob why O Israel do you think the Lord has forgotten you but they knew that God had called Abraham Isaac and Jacob and they knew that God with them began a new nation of people who were to live in covenant with him a new nation of people who God raised up so that this people might reveal His glory. That this people would be light to the nations. That the nations may see God through them and give God 
glory. They were a nation raised up through whom would come the Son, the Messiah. They knew that God gave them the word of the covenant. The covenant consisted of God's blessings and God's promises to care for this people and their responsibilities to obey the Lord and walk in His ways that they might show His greatness and His grace and His glory. They knew this, but they also remember that they have rebelled. And so by this time, they are in exile in Babylon. They know that they have been unfaithful to the covenant relationship they have with God. They know that they are in spiritual decline. And they know that they are being disciplined. And their faith is shaken. Now, sitting by the waters of Babylon, the Euphrates River, they're questioning what they knew. They're questioning what they once believed. They wonder now if God has forgotten them, if God has rejected them. They even wonder if God simply can't help them. Maybe after all, God has met His match. Maybe God has run out of steam. He has no more energy. Maybe God is like those gods of wood and rock and metal. Maybe God is like the rulers of the earth, the young men who fall exhausted. Maybe God is a drop from the bucket that evaporates in the heat. They're in a bad place by the waters of Babylon. We could take all their questions and we could put them in two categories. Can God do anything? And will God do anything? Now these are the questions that, to be honest, people are asking today sitting in church. We don't have to walk in and have a testimonial and everybody publicly declare all of their hidden doubts and questions. But at least we can be honest with ourselves. And at least we can be honest with God. And when it's appropriate, we can be honest with the people who are around us, who love us and know us. These are the questions of today in our lives, in our circumstances as Christians. Can God? Will God? Now, there's a clarifying question, though, that needs to be answered first. Can God, will God do what? What are we talking about here? There are certain things that God promised to do. But there are also things that God did not promise to do. And our problem, at least my problem, is that we, I, focus on the things that God may or may not do, but that He really didn't promise to do. While I fail to remember and pray toward and hope for and wait for the things that God did promise to do. 
Here in Isaiah 40, in the context of the exile, God did not promise that these people were going to escape the harsh realities of life in Babylon. In fact, He promised they were going into Babylon. And no doubt, some of the people who were sitting there in Babylon were personally faithful to God. We know some of the people experiencing the hardships of exile were actually faithful to God. We know their names. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. But still, they suffered. But God did promise that He would fulfill His purposes for which He raised up this people. This people through whom would come the Messiah to the praise and the glory of His grace. In the fullness of time, He did fulfill that. He did promise that. And God did promise to renew the strength of all who would wait on Him. While sitting there by the waters of Babylon with an internal posture of faith and trust, God promised that He would renew their strength. Now, once we understand what God promised that He can and will do, then we can rest in the knowledge, in the conviction that He can and will do it. But these people are in doubt. At this time, they are in doubt, and we are like them. And so the Lord reasons with them. And He reasons with us. We saw last week how the Lord reasoned with them through a long series of questions to bring them to their senses and to faith. Isaiah 40, the first 11 verses, God promised. He promised forgiveness of sins. He promised to come in His glory. He promised to rule with His strong arm. He promised to carry them with His shepherding arm. He promised that in their hardships, it is not the final reality, but that He would renew their strength. He promised that He would give them what they need. Verses 12 through 24. Can God keep His word? Yes, He can, because He is the incomparable God. His nature is incomparable. He is sovereign. He is strong. Now, in verses 25 through 31 this morning, we see that God will keep His word, and He will renew their strength and He will renew ours. He reasons with them to this place of trust and hope that He will renew them. And this is how He does it. First, God reads their thoughts. And then He reveals their own thoughts to them. That's verses 25 through 27. Second, God rebukes their unbelief and then He reveals Himself to them. That's verses 28 and 29. I'm going to come back and repeat all these. You're saying, slow down. I'm going to come back and repeat all these. Third, God reminds them of His promise of renewal. And then He reveals the way. Verses 30 and 31. 
God is reasoning us into faith. He's calling us into faith with a series of questions. And number one, He reads our minds, our thoughts, and our feelings. And then He reveals them to us. Verses 25 and 26. To whom then will you compare me, the Lord says, that I should be like him? Now we could say, well, let's read on verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. So you're going to compare me? Lift up, see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, because of his strong power, not one is missing. So we could say, well, that goes with last week. Because last week we saw that God was showing them the greatness of his power, that he's the creator, that he can do all things. We say yes to that. But the question leads to the other place of doubt that these people find themselves, and that is, will he? Because in verse 7, 27, look what he says. Why do you say, O Jacob? And speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. If God can remember the names of the stars, then certainly He can remember us. Stars actually serve at the command of God. God calls them out by number. He calls them out by name. They appear in formation and in order here. This is amazing. It's mind-boggling. Once again, if you're into astronomy, it means, I, don't, I don't know how we understand this. I looked up again this week about stars I can't comprehend. One, one place I read said there's tens of billions of trillions. What, what is that? And that's not... That's not kid language either. It's not like there's a gazillion flies out there. Or, you know, I mean, this is real. These are real numbers. Tens of billion of trillions. And God calls them out by name and in order. That's, that's poetry for God is sovereign over every one of them. But there's a literal nature to this. Matthew 2. God took one of those stars, appointed one of those stars to guide wise men to the place where Jesus was with Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem. The point if God, if the stars can't hide from God, if a tens of billion, trillion, gazillion stars can't escape the notice of God, if He remembers their names, do we really think that our situation is hidden from Him? That God has forgotten our name? That He's forgotten we're in a Babylon, we're in an exile? I mean, after all, look what he's doing. He's still calling them Jacob and Israel. That's important. Because that means you're still, you're still the chosen one, he's saying to these people. We might reason back. We might want to talk back to God. And say, well, okay, you can name all the stars, but I'm still in a bad situation. I guess the stars are more important than me. 
Jesus would beg to differ. Matthew 6. God's children are more important than all of creation if He cares for the birds and clothes the flowers. How much more will He care for you? Christian. Christian. God's child. Be reasoned with today. Let's be reasonable according to the Bible. If God knows and is aware and is concerned for stars and birds and flowers, surely He knows and is aware and cares for you and me, His children who are saved by grace through faith in the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Romans 8, further reasoning, if He didn't spare His own Son, if He gave His own Son, do you hear the reasoning? If He gave His own Son for us, surely He'll give us with His Son everything else we need to walk with Him. The Lord knows our thoughts. He knows if you're thinking, God, you've forgotten me. He knows if you're thinking, my way is hidden from you. You can't or you won't or you don't care. He knows. He knows. And He's going to reveal it to you. So you might as well be honest about it. It's a very good and gracious thing when God reveals ourselves to us. It's a very good and gracious thing. Because that's the way in. Honesty before God is the way in to awareness, to conviction, to repentance, to correction, to assurance, to hope. The root of despair is in the lie that God doesn't care. Resist that lie. See it. Own it. Resist it. Put it before God and let Him do His work. That's the first part of God's reasoning. He reveals their own thinking to them. Second, He rebukes their unbelief and then He reveals Himself to them. Verses 28 and 29. He says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint, does not grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. Now notice that the Lord doesn't rebuke them directly. It's interesting. There's there's a, a subtle but real correction and rebuke here, but He doesn't do it directly. He simply shows them who He is. And then He lets the revelation of Himself do its work. It's kind of like Job at the end of his life. When he sees God, he sees God, he gets the vision of God, and then he says, woe is me. What does God reveal about himself to these people? Verse 28. Well, he first of all reveals something that he's already revealed. 
He says, have you not known? Have you not heard? They, yes, they knew this. Yes, they heard this. They'd been hearing this since God raised up Abraham and God gave them his word through Moses. They should have already known this. And spiritual memory is a hard thing to maintain when the world, when your world, is in turmoil. It's so hard. I, I don't think I ever respond appropriately first. I don't think I ever do that. I don't ever remember a time in my life where I've ever responded in faith first. It's always second or third. There's always something before it. And then it's a slow down, Scott. Hear the Lord. See the Lord. Get the vision of God. And then I say, oh, okay, okay. Now let me, I'm thinking clearly because I see God now. That's what's happening here. He says, he's reasoning with him, with them. Have you not heard? Have you not known? Don't you hear? Hear what? The Lord is the everlasting God. Now, you can't get your head around tens of billion, trillion stars. You can't get your head around that. I know you can't get your head around the Lord is God from everlasting. But don't dismiss it quickly. I know you're, it feels you, it's a numbing effect on the brain to try to get your head around the Lord is the everlasting, the, the eternal. So well, I've got a definition for that. And I didn't ask you if you got a definition. I'm, I'm saying, did you understand your definition? Like, can you get your head around this? He is from all time, no beginning. No end. He is. He is. That's why he told us his name is I am. And if God exists from all of eternity, if he's everlasting, he's eternal. All of the attributes of God are also eternal. That's why the Bible says his steadfast love endures forever. Because he endures forever. Just try. I know you can't, but at the risk of overheating, try to get your head around that. Then, he created the ends of the earth. Well, the earth is limited. He's not. But the earth has ends. It has time ends. It has space ends. And within the ends of the earth, the boundaries of the earth, all that's created inside of it, everything inside of it, God created it. And as creator, he has the sovereign right over it and the sovereign rule over it and sovereign power over it. He's eternal and he created the ends of the earth. And third, he revealed to them, he does not faint or grow weary. Now, that means that God has no need for an outside source of energy. His blood sugar never dips. 
He's self-generating. He's self-sustaining. Again, maybe you're warming up. I hope you're not going to overheat with all this. God is never faints, never grows weary. Words that do not apply to God. Entropy, atrophy, degradation, decline, degeneration. They don't apply to God. Rejuvenate, reinvigorate, regenerate, revive, renew, restore. No re applies to God. God is always God. God is always full of God. He's always complete. He's always absolute. There's no addition. There's no subtraction to his being or his strength. That's what it means when it says he does not faint or grow weary. You see a quick read of that. You go, oh, okay, yeah, God can run a mile. Okay. It means much more than that. It's, it's, it's indescribable. It's inexpressible who God is. Fourth, he reveals, so he's eternal. He created the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. And look, look at the text. His understanding is unsearchable. He knows. He understands. He has wisdom. His understanding is unsearchable. Mine's very limited, very limited when it comes to astronomy. God's is unsearchable. He knows everything. In the context, too, now what this means, this is interesting because, you don't, you know, the, the point is just not, okay, God knows everything. There's a context to this. Verses 27 and 29 tell us that the context is people. These people thought their way was hidden from God. They thought that their right was disregarded by God. People, verse 29, are weary. And so what it means for God's understanding to be unsearchable in this context, it means that He understands people. He understands us. He understood them. He understands the situation, the need. He understands the nature of people, that we do grow faint, that we do grow weary, that we do need strength. I tell you what wearying is. Wearying is to be around people who act like they never grow weary. Just admit it. God knows it. And He understands it. And here's here's what it means too. It means that He understands us and He doesn't grow weary of us. Yeah, praise the Lord. He doesn't grow weary of us. And I know, I know. I know because not I'm not because my understanding is unsearchable, is because I've just had a very limited experience as a pastor for several decades now that there are many, 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 many Christians who have given up because they are weary of themselves and they believe God is weary of them. And he does not grow weary of his people now oh he loves us enough to discipline us and he will walk with us all the way through but he will not abandon us and he is not tired of our prayers and our groans and he'll pick us up praise his name and 
He's eternal. He created the ends of the earth. He doesn't faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And the first part of verse 29, he gives. All we've got to do is stop right there. He gives. If God ever takes away, and if God ever withholds from his children, it is for the purpose of giving them himself. If there is any deprivation or loss in the life of a Christian, that is the place where God comes and gives. He gives himself. And he gives his strength. And these are lofty statements. They are so easy for us to forget, hard to remember. Statements like what I just made require great vision beyond the immediate, the now, and into the not yet, but they are true. And they, these, these truths that God gives himself and his strength this must be received by faith. We must fight for this in our minds. Every day and sometimes, especially at certain seasons, everything comes up against the knowledge of this God. And we have to fight for this reality in our minds. He gives. Specifically, what does He give? And that's the third thing. The Lord reminds us by reason, in his reasoning, he reminds us that he promises to renew our strength. That he promises. And he reveals the way to receive it. Verses 30 and 31. Even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is a promise. This is what we can know. That God gives strength, new strength, renewed strength, always being renewed, fresh, daily, moment by moment supplies of strength strength for what well sometimes you need to fly sometimes not very often you don't fly often but sometimes in life it's so hard it's so difficult you need an extraordinary strength from the lord to mount up with wings maybe a few more times you'll have to run you come to a season in life, and those times call for really lacing them up and getting on with it, and God will strengthen you. But always, every day, we're called to walk. We're called to follow after Christ. And He promises that He will give us strength for that. And He will give us strength to trust Him and to wait for Him so that He will give us strength. In whatever circumstance we find ourselves, the Apostle Paul said, I can do it through Christ who strengthens me. 
This passage always reminds me of a friend years ago, decades ago. I had an older friend in my life who had cancer. He had stomach cancer, and he was dying. And I talked to him on the phone. And my friend graciously replied to my very stupid question. How are you? And he said, the body is weak, but the spirit soars. And I'll never forget that. God kept his promise. My friend at that moment needed to mount up with wings in the face of death. And God supplied the strength. And you and I need to walk every day in this face of life. And he promises strength. The exiles needed strength to believe and to hope and to return from Babylon to Jerusalem to live faithfully with God. Some of you need wings to fly today for what you're going through. You might need to run. We all need to walk. And the Lord promises to renew our strength. And so what do we do with that revelation? Do you remember last week and the week before, we kept talking about that pattern in the Bible of revelation and response. God reveals something about himself and it always calls for a response from us. What? How do you respond to a God who says he'll renew your strength? You wait for him. Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength and mount up with wings like eagles and run and not grow weary and walk and not faint. But what does waiting look like? I get this sense what are your images? I get all kinds of images. I get images of waiting in the waiting room of either the doctor's office or getting my oil changed. How fun is that? I get an image of a child waiting on a front porch for the friend to come and pick him up for a ride, anxious and bored. Is that what it is? That what it is? To wait for the Lord? It means to take a posture of prayer. It's an internal posture. It's not so much an external place. You don't just pull up a chair and sit for the rest of your life. It's an internal posture of trust, of turning toward the Lord, an internal posture of looking to the Lord, of hoping in the Lord, of listening to the Lord of relying upon the Lord, of remaining there, of watching and expecting. It's very active because you still obey the Lord. In real life, waiting may not look very pretty. Don't be confused. The person who strides in happy might just have a great personality, but might not be in faith. They might be, so don't assume that either. In real life, waiting doesn't look pretty. It's hard. Sometimes it looks like a person is wound up, but God's working. It looks like a struggle. The prayers of waiting may be as agonizing as Job's. The process of waiting may be as painful as Jonah's and Peter's in the Bible. But the posture 
It's always before the Lord. Waiting. As we're living. Luke 2. Simeon and Anna. Here's a great Christmas tie-in. Simeon and Anna. They waited at the temple. Now, they literally waited. Like, they went to the temple. They were old, and they went to the temple every day, and they waited to see the revelation of God, the Savior, the Messiah, come, and they waited. But they had an internal posture of waiting, too. And every day in the temple, as they waited, they trusted, they hoped, they listened, they expected, they obeyed, and they were rewarded for their waiting. And they each got to see Christ. So, as we come to the end of Isaiah 40, what do we say? God did not send His Son, born of a virgin, to die on a cross, to rise from the dead in vain. He intended to save a people by His grace through faith. Isaiah 40 tells us that He is able to save them and He is willing to save them. Isaiah 40 tells us that we are faint and weary and in need of His strength to walk the road before us but that if we will wait on the Lord and we will trust in the Lord, the Lord will renew our strength and He will get us through all the way until everything is new to the praise and the glory of His grace. Thank you, Father, for Your Word.